0: Welcome to another episode of the AAA Northeast podcast. Well, hello, everyone. My name is John Paul. I'm the senior manager of public affairs and traffic safety for AAA Northeast and also AAA's car doctor. And you've probably seen in the news about California adopting an electric vehicle mandate, as well as uh, in Massachusetts, where I live. And with us is Steve Burkett he is a electric vehicle expert and uh, you put some interesting numbers out about how electric vehicles are accepted by certain people millennials versus older folks like me Uh, can you expand on that and Steve welcome to AAA car conversations with
1: thank you very much yeah, um, I'm uh, with a, a site called uh, FindTheBestCarPrice.com, and uh, if you go there it's forward slash EV, you can check out a bunch of the um, the articles that we have up there on uh, you know EV adoption trends, things to think about as you're considering the transition to electric, that kind of thing. Um, so the the trends at the moment are obviously, and you'll see this in the advertising there, um, manufacturers are trying to catch up to some extent with the likes of uh, Tesla, who are kind of clearly the unabashed leaders in uh, the electric vehicle space. Um, and a lot of that is happening with uh, millennials. You know, and de- depending on the study you read, it's 60 to 70 percent of uh, new EV buyers are millennials in the U.S. at least. Um, with uh, that lagging on the, uh, the generations previous to them um, into the 20s and 30s Now I don't know that that really lines up with what I see on uh, the, the groups that I attend and the uh, meetings that I uh, would be part of before uh, you know all this current situation hit, but certainly a lot of the advertising that you'll see is kind of trying to bring in the new wave of car buyers by um, you know pushing electric vehicles and electrified vehicles um, to that generation of buyers.
0: Yeah, I live not too far from a former Navy base that was converted to apartments and condos and so forth. A lot of millennials either rent or own in there. And one Mm -hmm. day I just went for a ride through there and people's garage doors were open. And I bet within 10 minutes, I counted 10 Teslas. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think to some extent that is true. I mean, certainly when you're out on the road and you kind of look over to, especially something like a model S or a model X, it may not be a millennial that's driving it, but they certainly are very popular. And you're actually doing this interview, sitting inside one of my favorite little EVs, which is, which is a Chevy bolt. And, uh, the bolt has improved over the years and they're going to take what's interesting. I think about the bolt is they're going to turn it into a, uh compact suv and also what's sort of interesting too you can buy the bolt drivetrain and put it in a hot rod if you want
1: yeah i mean there's uh there's some amazing conversion companies out there um you know different levels of uh from hobbyist all the way up to you know the likes of ev west over in uh, california who do some amazing custom uh, refits um i was down in fully charged live last year in texas and the, some of the vehicles there, you know, from the smallest minis to these older, uh, you know, Porsche 911s. There's just some amazing vehicles that they've retrofitted with uh, battery uh, drivetrains. But yeah, I'm in a, a Bolt EV. Um, you know, they, they this is in my to my mind at least, having driven the previous generation of this, the 2017, now this one's the 2020, um, it's a very slowly evolving vehicle to some extent, um, this is almost a design that's five or six years old now, there's just been slightly tweaked uh, for this model year, um, so as you alluded to, there's uh, you know, a Bolt EUV, so playing on that SUV uh, um, badging, uh, which will come out as a little bit larger, it's going to be the first uh, non-Cadillac that has Super Cruise technology, so probably the next generation of G. EMs uh, electric vehicle technology, at least in the Chevrolet lineup, will be a new version of this, which is the mid-cycle refresh, and then the larger EUV, which is probably going to serve, you know, growing families, which would perhaps be mine as they get a little bit taller and a little bit older. My kids are uh, squeezing this thing out, so you know, how long we'll be in a Bolt TV is uh, open to question right now.
0: Although I, I road tested a Bolt. EV, and I had to move a small piece of furniture, and I was amazed that with the rear seat folded down, it could easily take the place of a compact SUV.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, once, you know, the the beauty of uh, electric vehicles is that you have, you know, if they're designed properly and they are ground-up EVs, they have a, a flat floor, so you've got a lot of space back there, and then you can fold the seats down. They're quite low. So, you know, that once the if there's no people in here, you're not logging around the pets and the kids, uh, as I sometimes have to do. You can uh, fold those seats down and get, I think it's around 57 cubic feet. So you're not, you know, you're within spitting distance at that point of the 60 to 70 cubic feet that a larger SUV is going to give you. So it's going to be interesting to see if this bolty UV, you know, it's very drip drip kind of uh, marketing campaign at the moment, but they're starting to reveal uh, some of the details. I'll be interested to see how much bigger it uh, it is and how much range they can squeeze out of it with the extra size and uh, weight.
0: Yeah, it, it is. It is pretty amazing how far we've come in a pretty short period of time. It's interesting that from the beginning of time with the last century where electric cars were as popular as gasoline cars, And, but their range was probably 50 miles and it was 50 miles right up until the eighties. And then all of a sudden now we're seeing much higher mileage vehicles. And we're also seeing the ability to charge in easier to get to locations with all kinds of different services, whether it's uh, EVgo or ChargePoint or home charging. And I was talking to the folks from Consumer Reports one day and they were saying that home charging is probably going to be where most people recharge their vehicles. Based on your research, are you finding that to be the case?
1: Yeah, the the number you'll hear usually bandied around is eighty to ninety percent. I mean, obviously, it depends very much. You know, in a city center, as you kind of alluded to, with uh, apartments. You know, that they can have uh, designs that lend themselves to EV charging, but there's also for multi unit dwellings, condo owners, townhomes, there can be assigned parking spaces that makes it a little bit more difficult to, um, to charge that vehicle overnight. So those people are relying on the networks that you talked about, along with Electrify America and obviously the Tesla Supercharger network. Um, If they're going to charge their vehicle on a daily basis, but more and more, I think, you know, people who do have a driveway do have a garage. Um, are going to be able to just plug in. Sometimes that will be on, you know, the very low household appliance uh, household outlet, which is, you know, going to take several days to charge the vehicle. But a lot of people do have, you know, a regular 220-240 volt. Uh, whether it's an older house like ours, which is only 30 amp, newer houses with 50 amp connections, those are going to charge your vehicle overnight. And it's kind of it's a lot of people talk about the inconvenience of electric cars, but in the daily routine and waking up to, you know, a 90. 95% charge battery. Um, your entire tank is full every day. There, you're not thinking about it. It's more like you know, just plugging in your electronics and having them ready to go for the next day. You know, as long as your average daily driving doesn't exceed you know 200 miles or so, then you don't really have to think about uh, going out of your way to go to a gas station, fueling your vehicle. That side of things, so it becomes just a habit that you plug in at night. Takes 30 seconds perhaps, and you wake up to you know a car that's ready to go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I When people ask me about it, I always say, what do you plug in now? And people say, well, I plug in my tablet and I plug in my phone and plug in my laptop. And I'm like, it's just one more thing that you're just going to get used to. And it becomes literally seconds to be able to do it. And it's not complicated. And even home charging stations, providing the wiring is, like you said, to the charging station, going out and buying a home charging station, plugging it in, is no more difficult than hanging a flat screen TV on a wall.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, it all depends on what uh, what outlets you have in your house and where they're positioned. But, you know, even the most um, advanced, you know, latest bells and whistles, uh, EV service equipment is $500, $600. as a one-time investment. You know, if you can plug it in and it can tell you, you can schedule your charging if you're in a place where there's time of use rates so that you can get the cheaper electricity or when it's cleaner electricity, if that's something you're looking at, you can set it to do all that. And it's really only looking at $500, $600 you know if there's some electrical work to do that can you know rack up a little bit into the thousands but again you're talking about something that if you're making the switch to electric and you've convinced you know you've done your research you know you want to go that route you're going to be using this for all future vehicles right so as one time you know that's kind of amortized over 10 20 30 years and it really is an upgrade to the house as a lot of people are going to be even if you come to sell you know people with electric vehicles more and more interested in electric vehicles are going to want to have that infrastructure in place
0: well, that's, that's a really good point. I, I know someone who has a Tesla and they live in Florida and when they were having their home built, they actually put a charging station in the house and now they're selling the home and it became kind of a added extra to the house where, where again, the, the popularity of charging stations, and it was a expense that apparently was well worth it now because it made the house appeal to, somebody who's maybe interested in buying an electric car even if they don't have one in the in the near future. Um yep. a lot of you you talked about scheduling charging and one of the concerns that always comes up is can we sustain an entire fleet of cars being able to charge up kind of at the same time. Sort of if I live near you and I see you have a bolt and you're very happy with it and I and I kind of go, you know, I kind of think I want an electric car too. And my neighbor two two doors down does the same thing. And we all charge up at night. Have you heard uh, whether the electrical grid can support this? I know last summer, you know, with people staying home a lot more, there were rolling brownouts throughout the country uh, because there wasn't enough electricity to power things like air conditioners. Uh, what's the concern with electric vehicles, and are they going to be able to? Will the electrical grid be able to support it?
1: Um, yeah, I mean the, it's it's kind of based in technology. You know, the answer is in um, how smart vehicles get and how quickly. Um, there's a lot of potential. You know, five to ten years down the track, to be um, to be load balancing, have the the vehicles be able to go not only taking from the grid but put back into the grid. So I sometimes flip it on its head and say, you know, 10 years in the future, we may may well be talking about, you know, EVs being the kind of savior of that kind of thing, being able to store energy at times of low demand and, uh, you know, then push it back in at times of high demand. But for the moment where we are, You know that there would be. I wouldn't say there wouldn't be a problem if you know 100 million EVs fly onto the market. um, You know next month, and everybody starts to try and charge at the same time. But the reality is that's just not going to happen. You know there there aren't enough models. There aren't enough. minerals and batteries in the world to to be frank to, to supply that level of demand. So it's going to be a gradual curve and where those infrastructure improvements need to happen, that will happen. But as you say, it's no not really any different than, you know, everybody turning on their air conditioner. At the same time, or back in the UK where I uh, hail from originally, you know, everybody gets home from their work, turns on the kettle to boil a cup of tea at six, seven o'clock, and that's when the grid spikes. So, really, you're thinking when you're charging your electric vehicle, it's the period of lowest demand, right? most of the time it's when people are going to bed they can schedule their charging to start up at maybe 11 midnight you still have a good six or seven hours and it's not always going to be you know most people aren't going to be charging from zero to 100 percent. you know usually people operate just for the safety of the battery even within that kind of 20 to 80 percent uh state of charge level so you know there's going to be there will be technologies that will come in and help to balance those uh, loads and you know, in, in the end, I do think electric vehicles are actually going to be more of a storage and bi-directional solution than they are a problem. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I've found that in my limited experience road testing electric vehicles, and I can only charge with 117 volt house current, um, I'm not driving more than 100 miles a day. So mm-hmm. even at that low amperage, low voltage, if I plug it in every night, I may not get a full charge, but I'm getting certainly a sufficient enough charge to be able to drive the vehicle uh, kind of on a continual basis. Yeah, if I if I drive it and drive something like a, uh, I remember driving the Kia Soul electric car and I literally ran it out of electricity. I think I pulled into my driveway with three miles left and it mm-hmm. took two and a half days to charge back up again. Um, yeah. yeah, it just, it took it took a very long time. One of the other, concerns is, and one of the benefits of owning an electric car right now, but also a concern of owning an electric car is when you charge up and you drive, you're doing damage to the roads you're driving on. And gasoline tax pays for those repairs. Um, Mm -hmm. As people have cars with better gas mileage and are not buying as much fuel or electric cars that don't use any um, fuel, gasoline, Um, Do you see that at some point in the future there'll be a vehicle miles travel tax to make up for the lack of gas tax because the government's going to want the money to be able to fix the roads and bridges?
1: yeah i think and that's that's perfectly justifiable you know i think we we should as much as anybody we're all road users we should pay our way and if it can be done on a miles driven basis then that's probably the most equitable way to do it um at the moment you're finding kind of overcompensation. you know massachusetts we don't pay uh, any um any extra fee to compensate for that but in i know my uh, in-laws live in ohio they drive a tesla model three they just squeaked in before this came in but it's something like a two hundred dollar um, or possibly more now, uh, fee, annual fee for, uh, for owning an electric vehicle to kind of bring back some of that revenue um, that is lost from gas tax. So you're, you're trying to figure it out at the moment. You see states trying to put in these uh, EV registration fees to, to compensate for that. And I think it's it's reasonable to do so. It's just it should be you know, you don't want to put people off buying electric vehicles at this point. The whole goal for from a lot of places, Massachusetts included, is to kind of drive this forward. And, you know, the, the flip side of it is we don't see any, um, you know, charge really or penalty for the negative externalities of, um, you know, emissions, lo- local emissions. uh greenhouse emissions, all that, uh, that side of the coin, you know, there is there is the uh, tax on gas, but you don't see any penalties, increased penalties for driving uh, gas vehicles and gasoline is relatively cheap, certainly at the moment. So, um, you know, there's, there's two sides to that. But I do, you know, the underlying point is we really should pay, every road user should pay for what right. they use.
0: Right. And you mentioned living in Massachusetts. Um, there are some great deals right now, Through the different green energy groups where I think you can buy a Chevrolet Bolt for up to 17 or $18,000 off the sticker price. And I think one of the requirements is you just trade in some older car and you get this, you get this benefit almost like a cash for conquerors kind of deal.
1: Yeah, it's changing every um, every year, it seems, you know, and there's probably with what's going on today and the, the new direction of, uh, you know, the administration, we see a lot of promise for, uh, for changing the, the national and federal incentives. So kind of whenever you talk about it, it could be out of date the next week or the next yeah, month, absolutely. you know, so I... Yeah, I always encourage people to um, to check out their, their local programs in Massachusetts. That's the uh, EVIP, the Electric Vehicle Incentive Program. And that can vary from commercial fleet users, individual buyers, whether you lease, that kind of thing. But the Bolt TV itself, as well as the $2,500 that um, Massachusetts gives you, um, has just huge deals off the MSRP. At the moment, Chevrolet is really trying to move the inventory that it has to make way for the new um, uh, the vehicles that we talked about before, which will be 2022 models. So, yeah, I encourage people. You know, don't, don't look at the MSRP immediately. Only really Teslas go with that kind of baseline price. Everything else from traditional dealers, Nissan, uh, GM, Chevy, uh, any of those brands, you're going to see big big deals on these vehicles. So, you know, what is on paper a thirty seven thousand dollars car could be as low as twenty five twenty four thousand dollars after incentives, and it you know plus the lack of maintenance, the fuel costs, uh, everything yep. that is cheaper over the lifetime of the vehicle, this can be a pretty affordable car to get into right now.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense, because when you look at the last time I looked at a Bolt EV, it was the top-of-the-line model, uh, yep. and I think it was about $42,000. Uh, yeah, so you can was, stick at these things yeah, pretty high. It was an expensive car, and yes, just yesterday... Uh, with the Stellantis um, announcement of Peugeot and Fiat and Chrysler and all that merger together, where they hope to have just in a couple of years, 39 new, 39 total EVs in the market. Um, but the, and I, I think it was the CEO of the company said, they expect if they meet all of the new emissions, regulations kind of around the world that prices could go up between 20 and 40 percent so looking and he said honestly if that's going to happen we need assistance from the government to keep our cars um affordable enough where people can buy them is that something you're are you seeing some price shock from people when they start to shop for an EV?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is coming down, um, you know, when people talk about um, the, the, in the, so the surveys about the biggest hurdles to buying, buying an electric vehicle, um, sticker price is one of the ones they put front and center um but you know if if i think deloitte was looking at those numbers uh, back in 2018 it was around a quarter of people were um said that the price was their biggest concern and that came down as of last year to about one in five so it's it's heading in the right direction for there and most people's um concerns then turn into charging infrastructure how far does it go all the things you kind of touched upon you know in uh, the the talk so far. But um, I mean, not to be honest, in terms of upfront price, everything seems to be going in the right direction from what I can see. Um, we're still at a place where the the federal incentive does make the biggest difference. And if you're looking at a car like the Volkswagen ID4, which is coming out this year, um, that's starting around $39,000. And they're actively pitching it at gasoline uh, equivalents like the RAV4, the Honda CRV. But those are on paper about you know between seven and ten thousand dollars cheaper. But then you factor in the various incentives, um, the fact that it has uh, three years free charging on the Electrify America network, and you start to see the things add up. So that over the, the medium to long term ownership of the car is it, most of the time it's cheaper than uh, owning the gasoline version. But upfront price, yeah, it does still require that kind of long-term mentality to think how long am I going to own this vehicle how much
0: am I be? yeah no I mean certainly so true um that some people want to you know be green with their purchase and be environmentally conscious and other people kind of want to save green they want to save money so uh looking at something like the Volkswagen comparing it to their own Tiguan you you, you kind of look at it and go okay if I look at a fully loaded Tiguan, maybe thirty-two, thirty-three thousand dollars 33000 versus the electric vehicle version of a similar sized car, and yeah, penny for penny, the electric car is going to be more, but looking at it in a long-term commitment of how long you're going to own that, especially with the idea of not having to buy fuel for three years, uh, it, it becomes, yep. it becomes a, a more affordable option, I guess, at that point, and to some extent, and I have to think some of it, you know, when you look at the millennials that want to buy these vehicles, some of it's probably trendy, right? Some of it, you know, I I'm going to buy an electric vehicle because so. it seems like the thing to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you can you can certainly see the marketing as we touched on going in that direction. Um, I'm also, you know, at pains to remind folks that that these aren't. Um, when you consider obviously long-term ownership costs, that's that's an important part. But it's not a like-for-like uh, decision in some some cases. If you if you test drive both of those vehicles, and I really do encourage people to you know when they start to see these models uh, on dealership lots alongside gasoline and hybrid uh, versions, test drive both. You know, see how it feels because there's nothing quite the same as um, the instant. Uh, talk and the acceleration that you know makes a big deal in uh, make big difference in city driving. Certainly, to be able to instantly kind of move from one lane to another, get into that space that you want to get into. Um, and there's, there's a very different feeling to driving an electric car, along with the benefits of, you know, if you can charge up in your driveway, not going out of your way to fill up any gas, the savings that that, that brings. Um, so, you know, it's, it's also important, I think, to think of the driving experience as well, because it is quite a different proposition to have a really quiet ride, you know, and for a lot of people... Um, I don't think the engine roar is is a big deal. I think that's a very kind of specialized driving experience, and for the people that love the roar of v V8, completely understand. You know that that makes a lot of sense, and that but that's a, a weekend drive or a track drive or something that's a fun, you know. Um, It's its own little experience. And I think that will stay, but with a daily driver, you know, you probably don't want the fuss of, you know, having to start your engine, not being able to start the vehicle in the garage because of the fumes, you know, going to a gas station out of your daily commute, um, waiting when you press the accelerator for something to happen, you know, which is exactly how I feel when I go back to a regular gasoline vehicle now. Um, So I think there's a, there's a very different driving dynamic and that is worth it's in its own right, a bit of a premium. But then when, as we said, when you consider the long-term costs of uh, owning the electric vehicle, it's generally cheaper anyway. So you have a lot of going for electric vehicles in that sense.
0: Yeah. Electric vehicles are sort of interesting because you, you, kind of made me think about two different comments one is an electric vehicle is completely different but it's not and you know as much as the torque is instantaneous the acceleration is quicker but on the other hand once you drive it for 30 minutes it's like driving anything else and some people i think were a little concerned at first that driving it would feel so different that it's not the car for me but in fact after driving driving a Chevrolet Bolt or a Tesla Model Three or uh, a, especially the new Nissan Leaf, it's a pretty conventional feeling car. After a while, it still you know it still has a, a shifter of some sort. It still has radio controls. It still has heater controls. It still stops and starts like most cars, uh, unless you yeah. want to actually use kind of one one pedal uh, acceleration and braking. So that is the case. But you brought up. V8 engines and that kind of throaty exhaust sound and all of that. And and maybe it's a function of my age, but calling the new Mustang Mach-E a Mustang and having four doors and a hatchback makes yep. me cringe. As much as I've, I've driven that car, I liked it. The acceleration was great. The handling was good. It was a well thought out interior. I like some of the Mustang cues that they put around the car, but to me, a Mustang should have two doors and it should make noise. What do you think?
1: Yep. Um, so I'm. I mean, I'm I'm British by birth, so the Mustang doesn't have that same. Uh, you know, Mustang name is obviously it's iconic with the, the states, but we never had a lot of those roaming our streets. But um, I mean, I completely understand. I. I. It makes sense to me why Ford is going that route. I mean, but I I feel like it's more of a marketing decision than anything else. And I know there will be a lot of purists that will be, um, you know, feel like that's kind of you know heresy in a lot of ways. Um, all I would say is, I that you know, those two door muscle, uh, you know, screaming V8s will still be on the road, they'll still be available to you know, uh, hoon around tracks and uh, go to the car meets and show off. So, I, I don't think that the presence of the Mustang Maki in its you know, controversial mm. uh, styling, nonetheless, really detracts from those. Um, and I, I think maybe people are going to have to get used to that because it seems like that may be the way Chevrolet goes with the Corvette um you know and there's there's probably a bunch I can see the Bronco having an electrified version and I don't know if they'll you know change the uh, format of those vehicles some may be more true to their original heritage than others but um it's more of that is coming I think so we may have to kind of swallow the bitter pill and enjoy the uh, nostalgic versions that still exist for what they are and embrace the electric versions for the uh the kind of performance and power that they bring in their own right
0: yeah i, I would have been happy if they just called it a E and not mustang but that's but that's yep. just me and and again yep, i think I, get it, it, I hear it yeah i i think i think when you know people drive the car and they see how good it is and they also see how well thought out it is with the hatchback and the front trunk that allows extra storage uh, you know great for a quick run to the store to be able to open the trunk in the front And stack up grocery bags or things that won't roll around so it kind of makes up for the hatchback design in the back so again it's a it's a well thought out vehicle and uh, as you pointed out you know the future looks like the Corvette could be electric or some sort of hybrid electric sort of Porsche 918 sort of version Uh, who knows what the future is going to bring I said this a while back that I think in maybe as little as 15 or 20 years that gasoline cars may be as rare as cars with standard transmissions these days so i think we'll see more and more electric cars they'll still be you know the the uh you know dodge hellcat red eye that makes 800 horsepower with a gasoline engine but that may be as rare as trying to find a car with a with a five-speed manual transmission
1: I think we'll see a move to, you know, very recreational use of, um, of gasoline vehicles. And, you know, I, as I said, you know, people, I don't think people are excited to get in their, you know, Toyota Corolla and drive to work. I don't think there's the daily commute isn't the place for those, um, you know, really exciting drives necessarily. But in an electric vehicle, you can kind of make those drives much more interesting. But I, I don't see the um, the you know emotion and the uh the pull of gasoline motorsports and um you know curious kind of uh, meetings going away i just think it will be more energy will be put in that direction so you'll still see you know i don't know where that will fit in with the gasoline bands that we talked about of new models but um you know, there's still going to be a place for our gasoline vehicles. I think once the the daily kind of, you know, commutes and all those things are covered by zero emissions vehicles, then we have a place for emissions vehicles, you know, in our recreation, in our specialist uh, meets, all that kind of thing. And I, I'd hate to lose them. You know, I grew up on Formula One races and Le Mans 24 hour and uh, going to racetracks around the United Kingdom. So the roar of those engines is kind of synonymous with those track meets for me. So I understand the pull. I understand the allure. I just think it's going to find, its niche and uh, that's where it'll live after that.
0: Yeah. It makes, makes perfect sense. Steve, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your day. Tell us, tell our uh, viewers how they can find you if they want to read more information about some of your, some of the things you do as well as the website that you uh, work for.
1: Yeah. Thank you, John Paul. I appreciate your time and uh, the discussion. So I, um, I write and create content for a site called find the and if you go forward slash EV on that domain, you'll see all the electric car monthly deals, best lease deals, uh, content for people considering making the switch, um, statistics, as we've talked about today, trends, uh, all that kind of stuff. It, I, you know, we're building up a repository of uh, information, how people can make the switch to electric cars uh, as seamless as possible. So um, hopefully that caters to the decision. Um, and if not, then uh, we're always there to answer any questions. So, yep, find the best car com forward slash EV and you'll be able to help your electric car buying journey, I hope.
0: Steve, thanks for taking time out of your day and joining us on AAA Car Conversations With. Truly appreciate it.
1: Thanks. Thanks, John Paul. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to the AAA Northeast Podcast. For more information about AAA, go to AAA.com.